time to change your mind about you, where we are on a journey together to awaken to our true identity. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, and today we're going to begin discussing what is necessary for each one of us to reverse the effects of the fall. In recent episodes, we've been covering covering the events associated with the so-called fall of man. There were several outcomes associated with the story, as you may remember. Upon eating the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve became fearful. That is what is meant by their eyes being opened and having the impulse then to cover up their nakedness. They covered up out of fear. So here we have the beginning of their perception of separation from one another. Therefore, the separation has its origins in fear. Yet this fear was not simply limited to their relationship. They were also fearful of God, which is why they attempted to do the impossible by hiding from his presence. Now remember, they were created in God's image and likeness. And since they were now fearful of the one in whose image and likeness they were created, they now were also afraid of their own true selves. This newly established presence of fear in their minds caused them, the two, Adam and Eve, to distrust, that is, hide from God and each other. And it is this distrust that in effect causes their minds to become distorted and thus perceive one another as separate. Yet the problem doesn't end there. It goes deeper. Another byproduct of fear is guilt and its companion punishment. Adam and Eve hid from God because of the guilt that fear also produces. So guilt goes hand in hand with fear. Since hiding from God is impossible, God knows that both Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. But when God questions Adam and Eve about what they've done, both of them, fearing punishment from the harboring of guilt, blame someone that they now perceive as outside of themselves. Adam blames both God and Eve, while Eve blames the serpent. Neither of them take responsibility for their error. This imputation of blame on others for one's own actions is not only dishonest, but also makes conflict inevitable. Why? Recall that God is always present everywhere. He never leaves or forsakes. So God is always present in the human mind. And his presence is always manifested as love, since God is love, as it says in 1 John 4 and verse 8. However, with the introduction of fear into the human mind, fear and love Two polar opposites now exist in the human mind. These 
polar opposites pull the mind in two diametrically opposed directions. As a result, the human mind has become split due to the tension created, that is, conflict, by fear and love pulling in opposite directions. It's like stretching an object until it fails. It's the perceived presence of these two opposing forces that have been and remain responsible for all of humanity's ills. However, there is good news. While love has been established in the human mind and is eternally present as God created it, fear has been learned as the result of human error. The taking in of fear into the human mind is a mistake. Since it was not established by God, it is both temporary and can be corrected. So the question now becomes, how can the error be corrected? How is the split in the human mind to be healed? How can we undo or reverse the effects of the fall? To answer that question, let's begin in 1 John 4, in verse 16. It says there, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. The scripture says we rely on God who loves us to provide a way out of this mess that we have made for ourselves. The scripture tells us that God is love and that if we live in God, that God will live in us. But the implication here is God living in us fully or wholly. We know that he never leaves or forsakes, and he lives within us. However, in our current state of mind, in the case of our split mind, he is not fully present. So how do we allow God to live fully and completely in us? Verse 17 of 1 John 4. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. God lives wholly in us. His love is made complete in us when we are like Jesus in the world. And since Jesus said, I and my Father are one, in John 10 and verse 30, we in the same way become one with God when we follow in the way of Jesus. In fact, this was one of the final messages Jesus left with his disciples before his crucifixion. John 14 and verse 7, 
Let's read there. If you really know me, Jesus says to his disciples, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. To be like Jesus in the world, we have to know him. And Jesus said, if you know him, you know the Father as well. That means you understand him. You are of one mind with him, as it says in Philippians 2.5, where Paul wrote that there. And if you are of the same mind as him, you also have the same mind as the Father. And what does this involve? Jesus explains. Further on in John chapter 14, we'll read verses 11 and 12. He says there to his disciples and to us and anyone else who will listen and trust him, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. The works that Jesus did are the physical evidence that God lived in him. And what did Jesus do? In short, he was an enlightened teacher and a miracle worker. First, let's look at what he taught. What did he teach? He taught what is stated by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 61 in the first three verses. It says there, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Who are the poor? They're the downcast, those that struggle to survive, those that suffer death before their time. Yet these answers, my friends, are symbolic terms. Who are the poor in this context of which Jesus speaks? It is every living thing that we perceive. The conflicted. Those that live only to die in the end. Those that experience joy only amidst suffering. These are the poor. You and I. He continues... He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. In other words, those who grieve and suffer loss. To proclaim freedom for the captives. All human beings are spirits encased and held captive inside mortal bodies. That's what he's referring to and release from darkness for the blind. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. He is sent to enlighten all minds that suffer in darkness and cannot see the fullness of who they are. 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. It means to restore our minds to the wholeness with which God originally created them, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion. What's he going to provide? To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. What he's talking about in these poetic verses is a complete transformation of identity. He continues in verse 3, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. What beautiful poetic language Isaiah uses here. Oak trees have long been a symbol of strength and durability. Each and every one of us is to be transformed into an oak of righteousness. What is an oak of righteousness? Let me tell you by an example. Uh, When I go on my walks, there's an unbuilt corner lot in my neighborhood. And And in the midst of that corner lot, it's a lovely green lawn, and there stands a glorious spreading oak tree. It really is a sight to behold. What a beautiful tree. It's the embodiment of strength and durability. Each and every human being is to become glorious in a similar manner as to that oak tree. And each one of us is to be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So the life of God will shine forth through us. Remember what Jesus told his disciples? Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Jesus was a miracle worker. He is one of those oaks of righteousness that is a planting for the display of God's splendor. We are all to be transformed to be like him. That is both God's will and really the deepest desire of our hearts. Thus says the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are destined to become oaks of righteousness, a display for the glory of the Lord's splendor. The question is now, how will all this manifest in our lives? Recall that the foundational emotion established by the eating of the forbidden fruit was that of fear. In order to be restored to our original God-created state, where we reflect his image and likeness, 
Fear must be eradicated so that only love remains. After all, God is love and only love. Thus, those that reflect his image must be the same. Those that display his splendor must be the same. The Apostle John drives this point home in 1 John 4 and verse 18, where he wrote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. John begins here by describing the divine state of being. There is no fear in love. Since God is love, there is no fear in God. Likewise, to reflect God's image, to be a display of his splendor, there must be no fear in us. Fear cannot exist in the fullness of God's presence, and neither does punishment, because punishment is prompted by fear. Those that fear, pretty much all of us in this world, are not made perfect in love. Yet that perfection is our created state of being. So how do we return to that state? Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount and tells us, beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. Jesus said there to the crowd, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, we've not only heard this, but we've learned to practice it. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy is the way of the world. The way of Jesus, the way of the image and likeness of God, the way to eradicate fear is vastly different. Verses 44 and 45, Jesus continues, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The heart and soul of the practice that eradicates fear is loving all people, all things, all creation equally. Equality is the essence of the perfect love that drives out fear. Since all are created equal, all must be treated as equals. Jesus then presents the logic of following this teaching in the form of questions. So Jesus' questions appear here in verses 46 and 47 of Matthew 5. He says, or he asks, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Majestic oaks of righteousness 
stand out because they display the glory of the Lord's splendor for all to see, as Isaiah told us. They are not like the world around them. Rather, they are in the world to be examples to the world in order to demonstrate to the world what is not only possible for them, but what is intended for them. All are created equal and treated equally by God. No exceptions. Therefore, Jesus encourages all his listeners in Matthew 5 and verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Pursue the perfection. That is your created birthright. That's what Jesus is saying. Return to the image and likeness of God. Well, some may say, sounds good, but how do I go about it? Jesus once again informs us of not only what to do, but what is required to be successful in doing it. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, still in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, in verse 8. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus wrote, or said there, Matthew wrote, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The way of the world is the practice of head knowledge, intellect. But the way of Jesus is manifested through heart knowledge, taking what we know in our heads and moving it from our heads to our hearts. Notice what he taught here in the greatest commandment in the law, Matthew 22 in verses 38 through 40. He, wrote, he said there to the crowd, or I believe he was answering one of the teachers of the law there, he said to them, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What he's saying here is you must love not just in intellect, not just in the mind, but you must love in heart, soul, and mind, the three united as one. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, most of us understand these commands with our intellect, but have not taken what is in the intellect and united it with the heart and soul, thus healing the inner conflict that besets us. How is that done? How is it that we transform head knowledge into heart and soul knowledge? We will answer those questions in our next episode of Change Your Mind About You. Thank you for listening today. I'm your host, Kevin Mack, reminding you that the major difficulty the fall afflicted humanity with is the establishment of fear in the human mind.
From this basic emotion stems all of humanity's ills. To reverse the effects of the fall requires that fear be eradicated. The New Testament teaches us that perfect love drives out fear. So each of us must learn to love both God and others perfectly, meaning equally, as Jesus both did and taught. Having a knowledge of his greatest commandments, though, is not enough. Such knowledge must be transmitted from our heads to our hearts. Only by doing so will the effects of the fall be reversed and all of us restored to our original God-created state, where only love exists and things become on earth as they are in heaven. I hope today's episode was both enjoyable and helpful to you. I would love to hear any feedback that you may have. Your comments and questions are always welcome. Please direct all correspondence to Kevin Mack at changeyourmindaboutyou.com. Once again, thank you for listening today. And until next time, take good care and be well, my friends. <laughs>